Uh, welcome again, particularly if you're here for the first time this morning. Uh, this term on the whole, we're going to be looking at the book of James. And Nick will be leading that, uh, who is leading the first half of our service this morning. But for the first couple of weeks, as we begin a, a new year, or almost begin a new year, uh, I want to pause and look at Psalm 27. So if you've got Psalm 27, I'm going to read the whole psalm. But in reality, we're going to focus in just on a couple of verses, or largely on a couple of verses. And for two weeks, think about the whole topic of the beauty of God, the beauty of God. That's going to be our, our big theme for two weeks. And therefore, we're going to preach a bit differently rather than kind of working through the whole passage and seeing how it fits together, the kind of things we, we do normally. I want to do more of a topical, um, deep dive, a bit more old fashioned preaching in that sense. But I'm going to read all of Psalm 27 this morning. So let's hear the word of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray simply this morning that the words of my mouth as I preach and the meditations of all our hearts uh, as we reflect on your word will be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Bless us, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's a prayer meeting this week, Wednesday uh, evening, half seven at uh, the, oh, where is it? Is it the church on uh, the URC church? There we go, strong start. Uh, the URC church, be great to see you there. Um, imagine uh, um, the prayer meeting begins and whoever's leading it, still don't know who that is either, <laughs> stands up and says, right, one thing. You're only allowed to pray one thing tonight, one prayer. Start thinking, what, what would I choose? Uh, and then they go on. Actually, do you know what? This week, only one thing you're allowed to pray. 
This is a bit odd. And then they go on, actually, this year, as a church, we are banning you praying for anything apart from one thing. You're allowed one prayer. Children, you know, the sort of pantomime season just gone past, hasn't it? Maybe some of you saw Aladdin and, and the, the genie. He allows you three wishes, doesn't he, the genie? But imagine one prayer only this year. What would you think? Well, you might kind of, fair enough, think this is a bit odd. <laughs> Maybe I need to find another church. But actually, Psalm 27 has an answer for us, doesn't it? Perhaps the most famous verse in the psalm. And really what we're going to be focusing on uh, these two weeks, verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord. And we'll return to that thought of the kind of one thing later. But it's striking to begin with, isn't it? One thing. This is David who's written just dozens and dozens of psalms, all sorts of prayers. And yet he can say one thing. So the reason I want to start the year with this psalm is it sets, as it were, a compass course for us. Children, you know compasses? They always point north, don't they? They all show you which way is north, which way to go, therefore. And Psalm 27 is meant to function like that, I think, for God's people. Whatever else is going on in life, whatever else we want, whatever else we desire, whatever else we're working towards, whatever other New Year's resolutions we've come up with, this one thing is meant to dominate and you see what it is very simply? Verse four again. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Again, we're going to dive into it much more, but I just wanted to see the headline that the one thing is he wants to get to the, the temple, to the, the house of God. But not just so he can see his friends or sing the songs or he wants to get there to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. So if you want the one thing that David wants, he wants to see God's beauty. That's what he wants. Above all else, to see the beauty of God. So what's he talking about? If we stop now and say, look, turn to your neighbour. What, what is the beauty of God? I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to do that. So you can relax. Not just this morning, but forever onwards. I'm never going to do that in a sermon. Um, <laughs> But if you were to, what is, what is the beauty of God? If I asked you what the power of God is, I guess you'd have an idea. Children, the power of God is mighty, he can do anything. The knowledge of God or the wisdom of God, he understands everything. But the beauty of God? And in many ways, it is harder to explain. There isn't lots and lots and lots in scripture that talks explicitly about the beauty of God. Later on in another psalm, Psalm 96, we read that splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So again, the idea of beauty being found in God's house, God's temple in those days at least. There's a promise in Isaiah to the people who are waiting to be rescued. Where Isaiah says, one day your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. So again, it's one of his promises. One day you will see God in his beauty. There are a few more references. I won't go through them all this morning. But it's not incredibly common. And again, that's perhaps surprising given it's David's one desire. So what is he talking about? What is this beauty? The beauty of God. The beauty of God is that quality of God that evokes desire 
in us and indeed in the angels and even in himself, as we'll see. God is truth. We know that. And so our mind can find rest. Yes, that is true. God is good. And so our will can say, yeah, that, that's the way I should walk. And that is a good way to walk. But God is, God is also beautiful. And in his beauty, the idea is that our, our heart finds delight. In a way, beauty is it's a bit like time, isn't it? It's, it's quite hard to explain it. You know what it is. But if I said explain what time is, what exactly is time? It's, it's pretty hard. So too with beauty, you just know what it is when you see it, don't you? Um, those of you who've been around Christchurch a while uh, will know that um, I have a very high view of Dorset, okay, the county of Dorset, God's own county. Uh, there's a place in Dorset, um, there's a place there, uh, overlooking Paul Harbour on the Isle of uh, Purbeck. And you can sit there, or rather I can sit there at least, and gaze down. You can see the island, see Brownsea Island and Fursey and Greenhall Island. You can see old Harry's Rocks, these kind of stacks standing up in the tree. On a clear day, the sea's blue. You can see over to the Isle of Wight, uh, the cliffs, the, 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 the sort of um, rolling hills, uh, sort of head off to your right. It is just a place of total beauty to me. I can't quite explain to you, I can't get across to you this morning exactly what that beauty is. But, but you will have something like it, perhaps for you. Uh, it's another place. Perhaps it's a spectacular garden or something or a country house you visit and it just takes your breath away. Maybe you've been to one of the great wonders of the world or, or one of those spectacular views like the Grand Canyon or high up in the Alps, whatever it may be. Maybe you're more artistic. It's the beauty of a piece of music or a painting, the water lilies or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a person. A person that has evoked beauty in you. Remember once... Uh, Many years ago now, young girl looking at me and saying, you look exactly like Tom Cruise, a tall Tom Cruise. <laughs> it was late at night. I'm not sure she was in a good state. But, but you, you get the idea. All of us have something that just, although we can't quite explain it, that, which, that, is, that, is, that is astounding. And we take pleasure in it. It's not just this sort of objective, okay, that is true, but that is, oh, that is wonderful. That is what we're getting at with the, the beauty of God. I'm not just saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's a common phrase, isn't it? I'm not just saying it's a kind of subjective thing in us. No, there is something objectively beautiful about God. The desire is pulled out of us, uh, as it were. It's often linked, actually, in the Bible with his glory. God's glory is the display of all who he is. It's not just his love or just his mercy or just his power or just his holiness. It's the way that all of them are displayed and fit together in perfect harmony. That is what David wants to see. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the God is... That, that sort of display of God's greatness that just brings wonder and delight to our hearts. Well, if that's what the beauty of God is, let me ask a second question, which is, why is God's beauty so great? Why is his beauty so great? I can delight in the view in, of Dorset and you can choose the Himalayas and someone else uh, can choose Niagara Falls. One person can find Tom Cruise. 
beautiful, or his lookalikes, another person prefers Brad Pitt, that's all fine. But David isn't suggesting that each of us get to choose our own beauty. No, David knows that there is one supreme beauty. So why is it that God's beauty is objectively the greatest? What is so great about God's beauty? Let me start by saying this. God's beauty is, first of all, appreciated most by... Well, children, let me ask you the question. Who do you think appreciates God's beauty the most? Somewhere in the world. If I, I think in this church, I know who it is, but I'm not going to embarrass them. I, somewhere in, in the world is the greatest ever Taylor Swift fan, the biggest fan of Taylor Swift. At one stage, I knew someone in the church who listened to such an obs- a, like, obscene amount of Taylor Swift one year that they got on the kind of charts of all-time listeners. And they're here somewhere, but I'm not going to name them and shame them. Um, they will be the greatest Taylor Swift fan. They will be the greatest appreciator of Mozart's music, whatever it may be. Who most appreciates God's beauty? And the answer is God. God. It might sound strange. But God finds great delight in himself. Now, if I was to say that about myself, hi, I'm John T. Do you know what really, do you know what I really love? Me. Um, really brings pleasure me. That would be bizarre, wouldn't it? It could be arrogant, pig-headed, sort of wrong-minded. But of course, God is the greatest being. God is the greatest being. If I was actually, if I was Usain Bolt, the fastest man, or at least used to be, the fastest man on the planet, it's not arrogant to say I'm the fastest man on the planet. It's just true, isn't it? God is the most beautiful, the greatest, the most delightful of beings. And it is good news that he takes delight in himself we get this a few times in the New Testament. Paul talks about God being the blessed God. So in 1 Timothy, at the beginning of the letter, he says he's going to speak about the gospel of the glory. And the glory and beauty are closely linked. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. It's 1 Timothy 1.11. The glory of the blessed God. And at the end of the letter, he talks about God being he who is the blessed and only sovereign, king of king and lord of lords. What does it mean that God is blessed? It's not talking about us blessing God, oh God, we bless you, you're great. It's not talking about an action of human beings, blessing God like we bless people sometimes. Blessed in that sense means, it basically means happy. God God is the, the God who is full of eternal delight. He rejoices in himself. Remember, God doesn't rely on anyone else, does he, children? We, we aren't built to rely on other things and other people. I needed this morning, I needed pancakes to get me going in the morning and coffee. I need air as we sit here. I need to breathe air, otherwise I'll just die, I'll cease to exist. Ultimately, of course, I rely on God himself to keep me going. The Lord Jesus sustains my being. God is not like that. John, do you remember the story of Moses at the burning bush? Where Moses, he's looking after the sheep and he's wandering through the desert. And suddenly he sees this bush and it's on fire. And he thinks that's strange because nothing else is on fire. And he goes over closely uh, look, to look more closely and sees that actually the, the bush isn't on fire. There's this fire raging, but the branches aren't burning. The leaves aren't being frazzled. The flame is in the bush, but it's not burning the bush. And God speaks to him from the bush and tells him, tells Moses his name. God says, my name is I am who I am. 
And both the flame and the name tell Moses, tell us something. They tell us that God is self-sufficient. Fire normally needs to burn something, doesn't it? You can't just have a fire without wood or coal or paper. Or... But this flame, which represents God, it's not reliant on the bush. It's just burning. It's self-existent. And the name means the same thing. I am who I am. I don't rely on anybody. I don't need anybody. I just am. God is self-existent and therefore just delights in himself. You need things to make you happy, don't you? You'll know this on a very kind of human level. You've had a rough day, you get home and perhaps you just, I just want to watch a 20 minutes of The Office or whatever, you know, or whatever it is that cheers you up on TV. I just, oh, do you know, I just want a warm cup of tea or a hot chocolate. Things cheer you up because you emotionally go up and down. You're a human being, you can't avoid that. God's not like that. He is eternally full of joy, bursting with delight, as happy as happy could be. And that is such good news. God doesn't need or rely on anything, anybody, for his delight, for his joy. So there is at the heart of all reality, this source, this fountain of utterly undestroyable joy, peace, happiness and delight ecstasy we might say it's not in your life right now it's not in your heart right now i know that but it is there in reality in existence and because god is the source of this beauty it is totally safe it's not fading god is the eternal god paul's words again to the king eternal Immortal, invisible, the only God, the eternal God. God never gets tired or weaker or older or wrinklier. Other beauties fade. You might have a beautiful bunch of flowers. Children, what's happen- what happens to flowers when you pick them and put them in a glass? They're beautiful for a week, maybe two if you're lucky, but then they fade. The petals begin to shrivel and fall off. Human beings begin to wrinkle and put on weight and turn grey. Our beauty fades, but God's never does. He is eternal. He has neither beginning nor end. He didn't start being beautiful one day. He didn't grow up and become beautiful like the ugly duckling. He was just always was. No beginning and no end. Eternal beauty, eternal delight. It's unchanging delight. God never changes, does he? Malachi 3 verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. James 1. There is no shadow of turning in God. No change. God never learns new things about himself. He never gets better or worse because he's as good as he possibly could be. He is always fully delighted in his own perfections. And he's always as full of beauty as you possibly could be. Eternal, unchanging, infinite. Perhaps you've become really enamored of something, fallen in love with something, whether it's a a new hobby or a person whether it's a, a place, again, a view, a piece of music, whatever it is, and you, you, you go at it and at it and at it. Maybe it's a new food. I, I, I mentioned before, I think last time, I, just, I love Toblerone. Uh, it's very tactical mentioning it last time because I then got a giant Toblerone for Christmas from, from one of you. Um, just one of you, though, I noticed. Um, anyway, um, now, I, I love Toblerone. I, I can eat a Toblerone. I can eat too much Toblerone. But after a while, even I'm going to stop. Okay, Toblerone for breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner. I, it, you're going to run out, aren't you? 
Similarly, sadly, with human relationships, sometimes, sadly, the love cools and fades. The delight goes down. Or you end up in a relationship and realise something about the person you didn't quite realise when you got yourself into it. But it's not like that with God. There are no boundaries or limits. He is like an ocean without bottom or shore or edge. Children, imagine a sea that has no bottom. Even the deepest part of the, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, eventually you can get down to. But not with God. There is no end to him. You will never exhaust him, never get bored. On and on we could go. As we think about different characteristics of God, his immensity, his size, his eternality, all of it safeguards his beauty. It means that beauty will never fade, never perish. And this is good use. The world is ugly in many, many, many ways. Your life, my life, it's full of sin, it's full of suffering, it's full of darkness, it's full of tears, it's full of sadness. Even the things we enjoy, the earthly beauties, they fade. Sometimes they fade because of problems in us. We don't continue to delight in them as we should. We don't continue to love as we should. Sometimes it's because the thing we're loving just diminishes and fades. Sometimes it's snatched from us. But not with God. At the heart of the universe is indestructible beauty, inexhaustible beauty. Beauty that's so incredible that it makes God's heart sing. How stunning is that going to be for you and me to gaze upon? Perhaps you're not a Christian. This all seems very kind of floaty and odd. And Let me just say to you this. Just, just imagine, just imagine if it was true that somewhere, somehow... You could get to a place where forevermore you would feel nothing but delight and joy and wonder and awe. Without ceasing, without fear that it will go. That is, that is what God is offering here. That is what David knows is possible. And so, of course, that leads us. To a third question, which is, how do I find this beauty? How do I see God's beauty? And David can help us back in the verse. One thing I have asked of the Lord, verse four, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. John, did you see it? Where do you get this beauty? God, of course, is invisible. Same verse again from from Paul. He's the invisible God. You can't see God. He's a spirit. We have no natural access. That's not just because we're sinners. We are sinners. But that's not the only problem. The problem is that we're just so small. We've no ability to, to see him. Job says, remember Job Speaking about God, he says, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. God, as it were, if you sort of excuse the slightly kind of silly metaphor, but still God, as it were, could pass by us right now, right between me and you. You'd never know. Never see. 
So what do we do? Where do we find? Where do we see God's beauty? Do you see the answer? Where's David going to go? The house of the Lord. He's going to inquire in the temple. What David knows about God is such good news. So, such good news, but so easy to miss. David knows not just that God is beautiful, but that he wants to share this beauty with us down here on earth. He doesn't want to keep it to himself. Children, I wonder if any of you have read The Lord of the Rings or read the, uh, read the books or seen the movies. You might know there's a creature in there called Gollum who has this ring. Um, and without wishing to give too much away, he calls this ring my precious. He loves this ring for all sorts of reasons. But he wants to keep it to himself. It is mine. He keeps calling it my precious, my precious. No sharing, no displaying. It's not a ring he wants to take out and show to the rest of the world. Look at this. Let's enjoy this together. No, it's mine. God is not like that with his beauty. He wants to share it. In the days of David, and we'll come back to this, it's down there in the temple somehow. It's in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord and the temple are the same place. In fact, if you want to be really specific, in the days of David, it was still the tabernacle, the tent. But that became the, the temple in the days of his son. God, God is like a painter who wants to, to display his work. Good artists are like that, aren't they? They don't paint and then put it in the attic. No, they display their work. They want people to see the beauty of their paintings. He's like a gardener who invites you in to see the flowers, the bushes in all their glory. Like a, a chef who cooks an incredible meal so that you can eat it and delight in it. In other words, God stoops down to reveal himself. Somehow he, he wants to, to show little tiny creatures like us who have no ability in ourselves to kind of climb up and find his beauty, he wants to, to show it to us. He's going to do something, make something, that in at least a small way allows us, with our tiny puny minds and eyes and hearts, to gaze on his beauty. But he's going to have to make something to do that, make that happen. He can't turn us into God, so he's going to come down. This is incredible, by the way, isn't it? Remember, there's no need for him to do this. He doesn't need to. It's not going to make him any happier. You see, with, with an artist, I, I, I was so bad at art at school that my teacher and I came to an agreement um, that he wouldn't bother me, trying to teach me, if I didn't bother disturbing the class. And that was fine. <laughs> I just, just so bad that I gave it up as soon as I possibly could. He realised I was a dead loss. Um, so I'm no artist. But I imagine even the most generous artist, when they painted a painting... Part of the reason they want people to see it is for their benefit. Perhaps they're going to sell it in a gallery. Or they, they sort of need the applause because it makes them, well, cheers them up. So with, too with musicians. Why do they go on tour? Why does Taylor Swift go on tour? I don't know Taylor personally. But, um, you know, I, I, let's be charitable. Perhaps she, she, she likes bringing joy to people. That's good. But it still benefits her, doesn't it, to the tune of many, many millions and millions and millions uh, in her bank account. What, with God. What is he gaining by, by sharing his beauty? What's the answer? Nothing. He gains nothing. This has been a real turn in understanding of God, I think, in, in, in the sort of modern mind. We tend to think God needs us. But actually our forefathers, Christians who went before us, never mind denomination or churchmanship, whatever, they were all really clear. God has no need for us whatsoever. 
We need God, but he has no need for us. He doesn't gain anything from us. He doesn't need his tires pumping up. Yeah, God, you are great. It's, it, that's not going to make him happier because he's already, remember, eternally delighted with himself. Happy. You can't add to God's happiness. What does that mean? That means that when he comes down and to do whatever he's going to do to display his glory, his beauty for us, it's not going to be for his benefit. All the glory will go to him, but the gain is all ours. We're not actually adding anything to him. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because that shows that it is all love. It is all love. He is doing it because he loves us and wants to give us the greatest thing that he can give us. So, how do I see God's beauty? Ask David. David knows he needs to go to this tabernacle. In the days of uh, David, there was literally a, a tent was moving around a bit in his days. Eventually, it was built into a temple in Jerusalem. And in there, God sent a, a, this cloud. It's sometimes called the Shekinah, the glory cloud. It was the same cloud that appeared on the top of Mount Sinai when the Israelites got out of, the, 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 um, out of Egypt and headed towards the Promised Land. Remember, the cloud came down at the top of Mount Sinai when they gathered there, given the Ten Commandments. Fiery cloud. That cloud led them through the desert and eventually it came and went into the tabernacle. If we had more time, we could, time, we could see that sort of throughout the Old Testament. It seems to be this kind of glory cloud full of angels and chariots and strange creatures. Incredible visions you get of it in books like Ezekiel. But there was this created thing that just gave a glimpse whew, of the wonder, the, the, the glory of God. And it was in the tabernacle. But, of course, the tabernacle doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Don't know where. Nobody does. Destroyed, presumably. The temple, knocked down by the Romans, never been rebuilt in 2,000 years. And anyway, God isn't there. But what have we just read this Christmas? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here's someone who is with God and yet is God. He's talking about Jesus, God the Son. And we go on and read, the word became flesh and, now in the, the ESV, which is the Bible we tend to use in church, has dwelt among us. If you're being really kind of literal, it's tabernacled among us. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is God's presence come to earth. He is God come to earth. Jesus is the exact image of God, but in a way that we can see because he took on flesh, became man. If he'd just come down as God alone, if I can put it like that, we wouldn't be able to see him, would we? But so keen is he to show himself to us that he becomes one of us, becomes a man. So it is at the moment for now, as we look at Jesus, that we see a glimpse of the beauty of the Lord. In Jesus, God reveals himself. We've sung this Christmas, I think. Yes, we have. Um, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hark the Herald Angels sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. 
veiled children just means hidden hidden in, in in a body as it were we can see the godhead and i love that hymn i think it's good to sing but i've been thinking about that line a little bit and i'm not i'm just not sure i'm not sure i, I know what they're trying to say and it's a great hymn and we're going to keep singing it <laughs> but veiled veiled almost sounds like it, it, it's hidden the glory of god is hidden behind a human being jesus And sometimes I think we, we, we get the impression, maybe, that in coming down to earth as Jesus, as a human being, God was in disguise. Almost like there's, there's a different God behind Jesus, who, who's much more, I don't know, glorious or majestic or whatever. And, and all the things we see about Jesus, like his servant-heartedness and humility, well, they're just the sort, of, sort of human stuff that are disguising, veiling, hiding the real God. But that would be a mistake. When we see the kindness of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, the meekness of Jesus, when we hear Jesus say things like, I am gentle and lowly, that is not veiling, that is not hiding what God is like. That is revealing what God is like, really like, what the true God is like. In Jesus, and as we gaze at Jesus, we see the glory, the beauty of God. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 3, let me read this one verse to you as we head towards the close now. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. How are you changed? How are you going to be changed this year? Paul says, okay, here it is. You behold the glory of the Lord. You behold Jesus. It's the same thing as, as David has prayed. I want to see God's beauty. And that means I want to see now, not what's inside that tent in the Middle East, but I want to see Christ. Now, I know, children, you might have worked this out by now. I know there's a problem here. He's not around in, in physical form, is he? Jesus has gone back to heaven. But that doesn't mean we have, we, we, we're stuck. As a matter of fact, David couldn't get into the tabernacle, but he still desired to. There's two things about this gazing that David shows us that, that remain true in our day. First of all, it, it, it's, it's, it's supernatural. One thing have I asked of the Lord. You see God's beauty as you ask to see. It's not something, it's not just a process, okay? As long as I go through steps one, two, three, then I, I see God's beauty. You know, turn left, turn right, head straight ahead, there he is. I can guide you to the beauty of Purbeck and, and Dorset. Google Maps can do that. But, but then this is something that's revealed from above. So as we begin the year, can I suggest you put this at the heart of your prayers? Even if you're just praying one thing for, for, for 15 seconds every morning, Open your eyes, Lord, let me see your beauty. One thing have I asked. It is supernatural. But it is also a duty. Verse four again, the last part of verse four. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire. That word is the kind of meditate word. We meditate on, gaze upon. It is active as well. 
It's not that we just have to walk around and hope that God kind of zaps us. Maybe he'll just zap us with an image. No, that's not how it works. We are meant to fix our minds by faith on Jesus and think, meditate, turn it over in our minds. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, we don't want to so crowd our minds with everything else that we can't possibly ever find time for spending even just five minutes a day thinking about, meditating about the kindness, the mercy, the beauty, the love, the majesty of God as revealed in Jesus. Part of what idols are is they're distractions. They're all sorts of things, but they're distractions. They're things that so fill our brain and our schedules and our diaries and our evenings that they turn our eyes away from gazing upon the beauty of the Lord to gaze on the beauty of the TV or the sport or whatever it is I want to do, the board games, whatever it is that fills my life. Idols are distractions. It's not that they're all bad, but if they so fill my life that I can't ever stop and try and gaze on the beauty of the Lord, then they become, well, they become distractions. But this desire, uh, this desire that we have, or at least that we should have, to gaze upon the Lord, is one that has been well, so weak in our hearts. We know this. We, we know it. Many of you will be feeling very guilty. <laughs> I don't have this desire. But it's one that is safeguarded by Christ. Do you see in verses um, verse, uh, 8 and 9? Sorry, 7 to 9. See David's prayer. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. I don't deserve this, but be gracious. You have said, seek my face. God wants to be seen. So my heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. That would be a great thing to pray today. Lord, I feel so far from you. I hear all this stuff about beholding your beauty, but Lord, I want to see your face and hear his words back to you. Seek my face. He wants you to do it. He wants to share himself. On David goes, verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off, forsake me not. Do not forsake me. And of course, you hear that word forsaken, think of the cross. Jesus went to the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, cast off. The father turned his face away, as it were, in order that God ultimately will not turn his face away from you if you seek him. If you come and ask, he will bless. Beginning of the new year, very often start with, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to pray more. And it can feel like this list of duties. Got to do this, got to do that, got to mow the lawn, got to tidy up, got to get up 10 minutes earlier, got to... But this desire, is this, this psalm rather, changes our, our perspective on things. You're being invited to see beauty. You're invited to being happy. You're being invited to delight. Because God in his grace is for sinners and wants to give you the greatest thing he can give which is himself. That is the heart of a Christian devotion. And therefore, that is why it is the one thing above all else to seek, not as some burdensome duty, but as a great delight that will make your heart sing. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we confess, as, just as we shiver in the cold, 
Over the winter months, we confess our hearts are so icy and stony and we pray in your mercy that you would soften us. Father, we, we call on you. You've said, seek my face. Lord, your face we do seek. Thank you that you delight to give. Thank you that Christ was forsaken in order that we might never be. And we pray that you would pour your spirit on, on our church now. Men, women and children, pour your spirit on us in order that we might find delight in your goodness, your kindness and your beauty. This is supernaturally given, we know. And so we come only in empty, uh, with empty hands. We come at the foot of the cross. We come offering you nothing but asking to receive everything because you are glorious and gracious. We ask therefore in Jesus' name. Amen.